Welcome to Baines Explains, your guide to navigating the tricky issues facing businesses today. I'm your host, Julian Whittle. Each episode, I will be chatting to specialists from Baines Wilson to find out more about the legal topics that will affect your business. In this episode, Baines Explains why shareholder agreements are needed. Hello, I'm here with Jennifer Bell, a partner in corporate and commercial law at Baines Wilson, to talk about shareholders' agreements. Jennifer, I'm going to start by being a bit controversial. Are shareholders' agreements really necessary? I'm thinking, you know, if you're going into business with a family member or somebody you've known for years, do you really need them? Yes, is the answer. (laughs) Any corporate lawyer will tell you that a shareholders' agreement is perhaps one of the most critical documents that any company can have. Unfortunately, most business owners will tell you that they are completely unnecessary and they are the one thing that can be ignored (laughs) and left for a future date. Okay, then why are they so important? Well, if anyone's heard me talk about shareholders' agreements in seminars or meetings before then they'll know that I like to compare shareholders' agreements to a bike helmet. And I often ask why it is that we all wear a helmet when we ride a bike, or why we perhaps put a seatbelt on when we get in the car. And the answer is because the consequences of not wearing one when something were to happen can be severe. And the same principle, I think, applies with shareholders' agreements. I want people to think of a shareholders agreement as being like wearing a helmet when you're riding a bike. It may seem unnecessary and annoying at first, but you only realise how important it is when things go wrong. Now, all business partnerships start out with good intentions, obviously. Each of them will vary in form, but they will all share one common characteristic, and that is the ability for it to go horribly wrong. And I see it. The tensions and pressures of running a business can often and do result in some of the strongest family members and best friends falling out. If the worst does happen, then you can end up with a costly and acrimonious legal dispute, which does benefit me, alongside the the breakdown of a friendship or a family Mm -hmm. feud, with the end result being that you are left with nothing. Shareholders' agreements are crucial because they can minimise the potential for those disputes. So sticking with your bike analogy for a minute, let, let's look at the mechanics of it. What, what, what is a shareholders' agreement and what should it contain? Well, quite simply, it's a contract between the shareholders of a company and more often than not, the company itself. And it sets out agreed matters between them, such as how the shares can be transferred how dividends are payable, there can be non-compete restrictions and exit plans amongst other things within them. It gives the shareholders personal rights and it imposes personal obligations on them. The agreement can provide protection to minority shareholders and majority shareholders. It can regulate the transfer of shares, impose restrictions, govern decision making and much more. A shareholders agreement can and most often does include a dispute resolution procedure which can be utilised if relationships have broken down and which will give the parties a structured plan in stressful circumstances. However, it is also important to ensure that the company's articles of association 
are consistent with the shareholders' agreement to avoid uncertainty or conflict, and also to ensure that adequate remedies are available in the event of a breach of the provisions. Together, the Articles of Association and the Shareholders' Agreement regulate and govern the running of the company and the relationships between the company and its directors and shareholders. Okay, well it's crystal clear from what you've said that shareholders' agreements serve a useful purpose. So given that, why don't people always have them? Well, the problem is that when friends or family set out in business together, they don't believe that they have any conflicting expectations. They don't believe that they're ever going to fall out. And why would they? They're the best of friends. They may have grown up together. They've never argued. So why waste the money on something that they won't use? But the thing is, they won't have ever really tested that relationship in the way that running a business with all its ups and downs and pressures does. They won't have ever sat down and asked those important what happens if questions. In fact, the ideal time to identify conflicts is when the relationship is strong, because that is the only time when you can make rational decisions on what can be very difficult issues. When you are unhappy or upset by someone's behaviour, trying to reach an agreement with that person is nigh on impossible. So why choose to leave it till then? You also have to remember that things change People's views and lives change and external things can happen that affect the relationship. Can you set out in a bit more detail then the the benefits of having a shareholders agreement in place? Yes. As I've just said, they can provide a dispute resolution procedure which can be followed, which allows the disputes to be resolved swiftly to protect the business of the company. A shareholders agreement can also prevent a dispute from escalating as the provisions of it can assist in clearing up any misunderstanding that may arise between the parties. The agreement will also protect the business from the personal circumstances of a shareholder such as death, divorce or critical illness. In many companies, the individual shareholders are critical to the running of the business. So an event such as death of a shareholder can have severe consequences to the business itself. If there's no shareholders agreement in place and no reference in the Articles of Association to what happens to a shareholder's shares on death, then those shares will pass via the deceased's estate. The result being that a family member or a third party will become a fellow shareholder even though they might not know much about the business or even have any interest in the involvement of it. Worse still, those shares could be left to a third party who isn't even liked. (laughs) Yes. If a shareholder were to get divorced, then their former spouse may also have a claim on those shares. If your business partner were to suffer a critical or mental illness which prevents them from working or being involved in the business for a sustained period of time, then the other shareholders may find themselves in quite a vulnerable position. Many of you may take the chivalrous attitude of, oh, don't worry, I'll fill in and do whatever it takes. But for how long are you going to do that for? What happens if it does become a long-term or permanent issue? Are you willing to carry out all the work for only part of the profits and capital growth? A shareholders agreement can prevent all those uncertainties by providing for various buyout 
options. It can also prevent against unknown third parties. In the absence of anything to the contrary, shares are freely transferable. So there is therefore a risk that a shareholder sells or otherwise transfers his shares to that unknown person or competitor, which could cause disruption within the business. To protect against this, provisions can be put into the agreement which prevent the transfer of shares completely or require them to be first offered to the remaining shareholders first. A shareholders agreement will also provide protection to those minority shareholders. Without the protection in the shareholders agreement, majority shareholders can force issues that are not in the minority's interests such as issuing further shares and diluting the percentages that are held by the minority. A shareholders agreement can obviously prevent this by having certain decisions requiring unanimity or higher percentages before they can be passed. The agreement can also provide protections to majority shareholders as well. If a third party purchaser comes along and makes an approach to those majorities to buy the company, they're going to want to acquire 100% of the shareholding. If the majority of the shareholders want to sell, then it is unlikely that they're going to want that sale thwarted by a small minority who's refusing to sell. Yet in the absence of an agreement to the contrary, this is exactly what can happen. So a shareholders agreement can instead introduce clauses known as drag-along rights which will force the minority to sell in certain circumstances. Now, on the flip side of this, if the majority do decide to sell their shares in the company, the minority might not want to be left behind. So you can utilise a clause known as a tag-along clause, which allows them to tag on to that sale. So the buyer would have to buy the minority shares. Exactly, and can't leave them behind. Now, other key areas that the shareholders agreement can cover are restrictive covenants and confidentiality. A shareholder does not owe any fiduciary rights to the other shareholders. If that shareholder wishes to establish another business which potentially competes whilst he holds shares within the company or after, then there may be little that the shareholders can do. Yet, a shareholders agreement can contain provisions which state that a shareholder cannot at any time whilst they are a shareholder or for a period of time after they cease to be carry on any other business that competes with the business of the company or solicits or entices away any of its clients, employees or suppliers. So it really protects the growth of that business. Those shareholders are also likely to have access to an awful lot of highly valuable confidential information about the company. And you're going to want this information to remain confidential for the lifetime of the company. So confidentiality provisions within the shareholders agreement are also very important. The process actually involved in drawing up a shareholders agreement requires shareholders to address many provisions and scenarios such as what happens if a shareholder wishes to sell or transfer shares or death, exit strategies and how shares would be valued in different scenarios. On a practical level this is important because it engages those shareholders to discuss, consider and agree with each other an acceptable position in relation to such matters. In doing so 
This really focuses the minds of the shareholders and it minimises the risk of disagreements on these matters in the future. Also important because the agreement can demonstrate that the shareholders have planned ahead and have acknowledged that disputes may arise, but have attempted to address those disputes and how they would handle them mm. and minimise disruption and detriment to the company. Having that foresight can actually create a good impression if the company is seeking finance or investment from third parties. Okay, so let's look at it from the, from the opposite direction, so to speak. What are the potential risks of not having a shareholders agreement in place? What, you know, what can go wrong? Oh, everything can go wrong. But sometimes some of the main risks are that the shareholder is also employed within the business. And if they leave their employment with the company, they could potentially retain their shares in the company. So you would have a shareholder that's not working within the business, which can be often be commercially undesirable. Also, minority shareholders would be forced to rely solely on their statutory rights, which in practice are very cumbersome and expensive to enforce. They're things like um, unfair prejudice, which is extremely expensive. Minority shareholders also might be able to block future sales for the majority, mm. which we discussed before yeah. with the, the dragon tag. Also, you can have a deadlock situation in certain companies, such as if you've got a 50-50 shareholder. In deadlocks, no resolutions at either director or shareholder level can be passed. And in that situation, a business can grind to a halt. And draconian measures such as winding up the company may actually become the only option left for the shareholders to resolve the dispute. Also, you've got the risk of unknown parties coming into the business because without those restrictions, shares are freely transferable. And finally, departing shareholders will have the ability to set up competing businesses. They could poach employees or suppliers and they can use your commercially sensitive information to do whatever they wish with. So hopefully it should now be apparent that if you are a shareholder, a shareholder's agreement does come highly recommended. And while it might be a touchy or awkward topic to proposition, the benefits to you and your fellow shareholders will be bountiful in the future. So try not to think of it as a legal document. Instead, try and think of it as an outline of the essence of what your company is and what you want it to become. Well, thanks, Jennifer. <clears throat> I certainly think you've done enough to convince the sceptics. Good. That's, <laughs> that's been really useful. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Baines Explains. You can find more information about the topic discussed today and sign up for regular alerts on changes to case law and legislation by visiting our website, www baineswilson.co.uk To keep up to date with what our team is up to, follow us on Twitter and on LinkedIn by searching Baines Wilson LLP. Don't forget to subscribe to Baines Explains and tune in next week for another episode.